is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, well, we are continuing in our privileges series. This will be the third week of privileges. And I just want to encourage you before we get into this, get your actual Bible off the shelf, right? Don't just follow along on the screen. You're in the comfort of your own home. Spread out many Bibles if you want to. Get your concordances out and your journals and your highlighters and all of that. Take notes. Lean in. This is not just entertainment today, right? This is We're still being the church. We're learning together, growing together. I just want to encourage you to lean in. So you can follow along in my sermon notes. If you'd like, though, effie.church slash sermon notes. All the links and stuff are there, and uh, you can follow along on the app as usual. So this Privileges series is really about how we can begin to see giving and generosity as a great privilege in the kingdom of God, that it is our honor. It's not an obligation or a discipline, but it's really looking at how can we begin to posture our hearts toward generosity instead of towards stinginess and that me mentality. And so today, I was actually always going to share this piece of scripture with you. It's amazing how God works like that, but this was always in the plan. And um, I, I had approached it a little bit of a different way, but God is so good, and he just began to change my heart a little and help me see it in a whole new way that's really, really applicable to what we're going through right now. And so I think you'll see what I mean. Let me read this first, and then we're going to unpack it. Go ahead and turn to John 12 in your Bibles this morning, verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. But dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Now, I want you to pay special, close attention to the names, the characters, the people in this story. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot... The disciple who would soon betray him said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. Of course, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciple's money, he often stole some for his health himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And when I began preparing for this message, I really thought that I was going to focus on just one character in this story. As I began to read it and study it, though, this week, as usual, I had questions. Y'all know I always have questions. And so I wanted to look deeper into the text and really uh, sort of pick up each character, turn it over, look at it from every angle, see this story through their perspective, and then put them back in and pick up another character. And so I, I ended up not just focusing on Mary, but on a couple different characters throughout this story. And I really want to look at underneath, not just who they were, but underneath what fueled who they were. And so we are going to start out with Mary. We're going to look at four different characters in this story. 
And we're going to start out with Mary, who I have named the unashamed worshiper. The unashamed worshiper. You know, I was going to focus on her because of just how grateful she was. And she didn't see pouring out this perfume on Jesus' feet as an obligation or uh, something that she had to do. It certainly wasn't something she had to do. She loved to do it. But I wanted to, to examine why. You know, she was the sister of Lazarus. And we see her throughout the Gospels, actually. She pops up from time to time. But just before this story happened, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was seen sort of confronting Jesus. She was angry with him. And the story goes that Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, one of his disciples, although not one of the ones that would follow around with him, but uh, one of the ones that really studied with him, uh, Lazarus was sick, right? And so uh, Mary sends word to Jesus, or, or somebody sends word to Jesus, and, and they say, uh, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. Come quickly, right? Come, because if you're here, you will heal him. We know you will. Come quickly. And so they send word, and Jesus gets the word, but he doesn't come. He doesn't come. He actually lets Lazarus die. And a few days later, then he says, actually, he gets the word that Lazarus dies. And then he says, okay, let's go to Jerusalem. The disciples are like, but why? I mean, he's already passed away. What can we possibly do? And Jesus says, we're going. Oh, they also had some qualms because people were trying to kill him by this point in his ministry in Jerusalem. So they said, Jesus, maybe it's not the best idea to go to Jerusalem right now, right? Uh, but Jesus says we're going. So it's interesting, and I might preach on this next week. We'll see where the Lord leads. But one of the disciples at that point says, let's go die with Jesus. Let's go. We're going to go die with Jesus. I mean, the commitment of that. And so they show up in Jerusalem. Uh, they <clears throat> walk into this scene where everybody's crying and weeping and mourning the loss of the life of their friend. And Mary comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you would only have been here. And I imagine it said with a lot of anger. If you had only been here, you could have prevented this. Anger, but also faith, right? She truly believed that if Jesus had just been there, he would have prevented this. But we know it's a little bit more complicated than that, actually, isn't it? Jesus did know he could have come. He chose not to. We have to trust him anyway through that. She just, she was weeping. She was angry. How could you, Jesus? Right? And then Jesus walks up to that tomb and walks out with Lazarus alive and well. He raises him from the dead. And so we see this very grateful Mary. Can you imagine? Your brother has died and in walks Jesus, who sees him as only sleeping, by the way. What God sees, what we often see as dead, God will sometimes see as just sleeping. Jesus walks in, sees him as sleeping, and walks out with an alive man. And the gratitude that must have just poured naturally out of Mary. It had to have been unprecedented. Nobody else in the room quite understood who Jesus was like Mary did. And she had 
all the faith. Can you imagine? All the faith in the world that if Jesus were just there, he would have healed him. And yet Jesus does something even greater, raises him from the dead. You know, so many people around the world have died from this sickness. I checked this morning, 5,088 or something like that have died from this sickness, and my heart goes out to them. But God is not saying to us right now, I'm going to heal everyone. I'm going to raise everybody from the dead. He's just asking for our surrender. And we can trust no matter what happens throughout all of this, that he is good, that he's got our backs, that he's going to turn this into good for us, and that life here on earth is not the final answer. We get hope no matter what. There was this uh, traveling evangelist that used to come to Freedom Valley when I was a kid, and he would always get the crowd participating, and he, he said, if they beat us up, God will, and the crowd had to say, heal us, and he would say, if they kill us, we'll be with, and the crowd had to say, God. If they beat us up, God will, heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with, God. If they beat us up, God will, heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with, God. We can trust in God either way. Our hope isn't ultimately in healing. Our hope is in God, the God of healing. Our hope isn't ultimately in life itself. Our hope is in the God who created life, and he created us as eternal beings that will never die. Death is but a shadow, the Bible says, right? If we have Jesus covering our sins, opening up the passage between us and God again, We go on living in the presence of God. That is where true hope lies. And I believe Mary discovered this. Even though her brother was living again, I believe she saw Jesus suddenly as who he really was, that he had power over even death. There was nothing Jesus couldn't do. I believe she was an unashamed worshiper out of a true understanding of who Jesus was actually is. When you truly understand that Jesus is the Son of God Almighty, of God the Creator, when you truly understand what He's capable of in your life, why wouldn't you want to give Him everything? Why wouldn't you want to honor Him with the most expensive gift that you have? Why wouldn't you want to honor Him like a king? And so much more. She was willing to look foolish in the eyes of others because of her true understanding of who Jesus is. She was willing to do something foolish and and impractical and over the top, but it was because of her love for Jesus, not the practicality of it. She didn't care about the practicality of her gift. She cared about honoring her Savior. It was the heart with which she did what she did, right? It was the heart behind it. You know, the Pharisees went overboard all the time in their worship of God, right? They were always doing things way over the top, but it was the heart with which they did it that God hated. It was about pride and greed for them, not about a love for Jesus. Mary was genuinely honoring Jesus, and she saw it as a privilege, not an obligation or a way to gain respect from others. I think she had finally given everything over to Jesus with that act. I think maybe that perfume was her safety net, was her default, right? It was, it was her um, future plan, and she suddenly realized if she had Jesus, she didn't need that, and she poured it all out on his feet. I think she finally surrendered everything. She didn't see life or money or expensive things as something to be treasured anymore, but to be used in service 
of Jesus. Mary, the unashamed worshiper. And so put her back into the story here, and we're going to pick up Martha, who I've been calling the grateful servant. You know, not long before this, we see Martha in the classic Mary and Martha story, right? Do you remember that story where Martha is busy cooking in the kitchen? She's slaving away, working her butt off, and then Mary is just sitting around at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word she says. And here comes Martha, and she says, Jesus, why aren't you making her help me? Why, can, can you tell her to come and help me, please? And Jesus says back to her, there is only one thing worth being worried about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Instead of Martha digging her heels in and being bitter about serving, refusing, giving up, right, saying, well, if she's not going to serve, I'm not going to serve, right? She doesn't do any of that. We actually see her, again, in this story, still serving. She's back at it. She's serving a whole group of people now. What changed? Caused that shift. We don't see her complaining this time. She's just serving, and she's serving more people than she was before. I think, just like the, the resurrection of Lazarus had an effect on Mary, I think it had an effect on Martha, too. She was also one that was found going to Jesus and saying, if you were only here, Lord, if you were only here, how could you do this to us, right? But I think she also changed her heart, but that doesn't mean her gifts changed. She was still a servant at heart. That's why the Bible also tells us, if, you, if your gift is to serve, serve well. But if your gift is to give, give well, because even though it's a gift, we don't always do it well with excellence, with the right heart behind it, right? And so I, I see Martha here as being a grateful servant because she now had a love for Jesus. But we also see her love for Jesus turning into a love for others as well. She continued to serve wholeheartedly, considering it a privilege because she now understood who Jesus is, but she didn't complain this time around. She did it with a grateful heart, and she was not only serving Jesus, but many others as well. Because love for Jesus always turns into a love for others. We have never had more opportunity to show that love for others than right now. Jesus followers should be leading the charge in loving our friends and neighbors. Just because we're not physically together in the church doesn't mean we stop being the church Shine your light brighter than ever before because the world seems a little darker right now, doesn't it? You have a chance to love your friends and neighbors and to serve them well, and that should flow out of a love for Jesus. And so that's what we can learn from Martha. So put her back in the story and pick up Judas. And we all know who Judas is, right? Judgmental Judas in, in this part of the story. We see him as being very judgmental. Speaking before God does. Anybody else notice that? As Mary comes in, she pours perfume over Jesus' feet. And instead of seeing what Jesus' reaction to that might possibly be, he speaks first. It's always a good idea to speak before God does, right? And yet, don't we do that all the time? We judge, but we haven't asked God what he thinks. right? We judge other people, even though it really should have nothing to do with us. Like it wouldn't affect us anyway if the situation was different. And so 
why are we going around judging people? We do this all the time. We judge people, and it sounds really religious and godly and good, but it has ulterior motives behind it. The skepticism often has its root in other things. When you have a deceiving heart, you think everyone else is deceiving too. When you're stealing a little bit here and there, you think surely everyone else is doing it too. And you become skeptical of others giving out of the goodness of their heart because you wouldn't. Why would they? Right? We have to watch our skepticism extremely carefully. We have to never let it go unchecked because it does edge its way into our hearts from time to time. We have to be aware when it comes out of us. We should be listening carefully to that, and that should be a trigger when we hear it coming out of us, like, ooh, I need to pay attention to that. There's something else going on in my heart that maybe I need to repent for and give it to God. And so you, you also want to be careful of other people's judgment and skepticism, right? Not take it as fact right away, but maybe examine it a little bit and just be aware that it might be coming from a different place than it seems, and that they might not even be aware of that yet. But then, as I was examining the story of Judas in this context, another separate sort of concerning thought came to me. Notice here how no one else noticed or called Judas out on his thievery. But certainly they knew after the fact, this gospel was written years and years after this story occurred, so they had hindsight at this point. They knew Jesus, Judas, was stealing at this point. But you read all throughout Judas's story, nobody else knew what he was going to do. They, every time Jesus would bring it up that somebody was going to betray him, the disciples would be like, who, Lord? Right? They had no idea what Judas was up to. Anybody else find it a little alarming that Judas has been embezzling money on the regular, but no one knows except Jesus? No one knows. Right? It is, it's that loving money and hating God thing. And the alarming thing is it can actually look a lot like serving God wholeheartedly. You can hate God and love money and look like you're serving God wholeheartedly. I find this alarming, not because I'm now looking at everybody else, like, like what are they doing? But for me, right, am I just going through the motions? Am I just doing everything that, that looks good on the outside, but I have a deceiving heart on the inside? Am I the person who's doing and saying all the right things without the right heart? Am I the person who's expressing cynicism and judgment because I can't see who Jesus truly is? Am I the person who is spending time around Jesus, as Judas did, but not actually allowing him to change me, not actually handing over the control? That was Judas's problem. He spent time around Jesus, but he didn't actually hand over the reins of his life to Jesus. That's what I think was going on here. And Judas said it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And that sounds good. It sounds religious. It sounds like something Jesus might even say, but he wasn't saying it out of a heart of compassion for Mary. He was saying it out of greed and pride. We can often do the same things, and again, never more apparent than right now in our culture and our communities, right? 
We can often say what sounds good, but it's not said out of a heart of compassion for others. And so we need to check our motives, not just the right words coming out of our mouths, but the heart with which we say it. You can say all of Jesus's words, but not say it in his heart with his spirit and still be wrong. Put Judas back in the story. Pick Jesus out. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? Why would Jesus make Judas treasurer knowing he was embezzling? He was the only one that knew at the time. Anybody else have a little concern about that? Like, take it a step further. Jesus knew what was going to happen, not just what was happening as well. So why would Jesus put Judas in charge of the money knowing he was going to be embezzling? Like, you almost want to just shake Jesus a little bit. Right, like put him in a Dave Ramsey class, maybe, or (laughs) get him a financial consultant. Like, what was happening here? Jesus could have given the money back to Nathaniel. He was described as an Israelite, indeed, in whom there was no deceit. Sounds like a good guy to give the money back to, right? Or, Or John, maybe, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Or even Levi, who had extensive financial experience, but he didn't. Jesus chose Judas, the thief, the betrayer, to be the treasurer of his ministry. Not as if he didn't know. He knew, and he did it anyway. Donors were supporting his ministry financially, and Jesus appointed the one guy he knew to be a devil. His words, not mine. Right? That's who he chose to manage his money. We have to come back to... What I know about Jesus, and this is what I struggled through this week as I was studying it. I know Jesus to be good in everything he does. I know him to be just, right? Everything he did was perfect. He was fully God and fully man, and he made all the right choices. So how do I reconcile these two thoughts? Was Jesus being responsible or irresponsible? And here's where I came to. You know, we often say that God is not an enabler, and he's not. There will always come an end to the evil, always. But God is incredibly graceful, too. Incredibly graceful, too. And I believe Jesus was putting his money where his mouth was. It was Jesus who said three specific things regarding money. In Matthew 6, 19, we see Jesus say, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, right? In Judas, Jesus was allowing him to carry the money bag, and he was showing us by example exactly what he meant and that it wasn't just words, he was actually, he actually believed in what he was saying. You know, his, his treasures weren't in that money bag. He wasn't laying up for himself treasures on earth. He knew that God would provide for him, for his disciples, and that he had everything that he needed and that they needed. His treasures were not in earthly things. He trusted the Father with his treasures. Second thing he said in Matthew 6, 21 is where we find this one. He said, where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. And again, in this example, Jesus showed us the 
heart-hardening, heart-binding, heart-breaking end of treasuring the wrong thing. Judas put his faith in the wrong thing, and it ate him up in the end. But Jesus' treasure wasn't in that money bag. His treasure was in Judas. And the crisis we're facing right now, it would be very easy to get to a place of withholding withholding from our friends and neighbors. It would be very easy to get to a me mentality in our hearts and spirits. But we can't let ourselves get there. Jesus didn't let himself get there. Take a cue from Jesus and don't do that. Treasure people above possessions. People are the only things that you'll be able to take to heaven with you. You won't be able to take your toilet paper stash or your stockpile of goods and rice. You can take people to heaven with you. Invest in people. The third thing that Jesus said, we find this one in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If this is an example, isn't an example of that, I don't know what is. Jesus used money as a tool. I mean, he had a money bag for his ministry. He used it as a tool, but it wasn't his security. He used it as a tool, but it wasn't his source. Now, does this mean we should always allow people to steal from us? And enable sinful behavior? No, of course it doesn't. In fact, I think one of the ways that God helps us to bring people to account, that God helps to bring people to account, is by letting others know about it so they can deal with it. If your sin is still happening in secret, just know that it won't be for long. Deal with it. Repent. Confess it. Let other people into that situation before they have to. Right? Eventually, God will reveal the truth to the world, and other people will have to deal with your secret sin. But what it does mean for us, now more than ever, is that our hope is not in our things or our money. No amount of of prepping or stocking or buying toilet paper is going to make me secure. It might be wise. Prepare for your family. Absolutely. I'm not saying don't do these things. Just don't find your security in those things. No amount of saving or being stingy with money is going to make me secure. Isn't that what the story of Job taught us, right? The richest man in the area with the biggest family, but his safety and security wasn't in those things. It was in his trust in God. We can't do this on our own. This world is wild and, and dangerous, and that's obviously the way God intends it to be for now. One day, it's going to be perfect, and pure. But today is not that day. Whatever comes, our hope is in the Lord. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Trouble. He is the rock upon which we stand in a raging sea of storms. He is my security and my hope, my healer and my provider. Let my security be found in him and him alone. That is the example of Jesus Christ, even as he lived on this earth and faced real fears like hunger and disease and where to lay his head at night. He put his trust in God 
and God alone. This is why we tithe. It's why I had said that all biblical generosity hinges on tithing. Because it's what God asked for. He has given us so much. Why wouldn't we show him that we trust in him and him alone by just doing what he asks? But even in tithing, we still have to be careful to guard our hearts because the enemy wants you to think that when you tithe, you are being generous. But you can't be generous with things you don't own. This is why all of biblical generosity hinges on tithing. God has called us to be generous people. But when you tithe and think that's generosity, you sort of check off that box, okay, done, and say, well, you know, when a need comes up, I've, I've already been generous, right? There's no more space for that. I tithe this week. And so when your neighbors need you this week, you're tempted to say, sorry, I've already been generous. no. That's not what tithing is about. Tithing is returning to God, being faithful to God. It's not being generous. The first 10% of your income, that belongs to God. You're just not being a thief by tithing, as we learned two weeks ago. But God calls us to more than that. He calls us to give everything of ourselves just like Jesus, and to see it a privilege to do so. He calls us to love people to the point that it hurts. It'll hurt our money bags, our bank accounts. This week, it might hurt your chest freezer full of food, your toilet paper stash. It might hurt your own sense of security, but people are the real treasure. And that's the example Jesus set for us. So, Father, as we go into this week, as we face this world of chaos and challenges and try to navigate our way through it, God, I just pray that you would make us people of generosity, that our hearts would be positioned toward generosity, that we would carefully listen to what you would have us do in every situation, that we would seek your face, that we would be like Mary, the unashamed worshiper, out of a true understanding of who you are, that we would come before you, hearts humbled, ready to completely surrender everything, 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 that we would be like Martha, the grateful servant, that we would serve Jesus and serve other people out of a true understanding of who Jesus is and the gratitude that we have for what he's done for us. That we would not be like Judas, the judgmental thief. That we would not have a heart just all about me, what I can gain out of this relationship. But we would truly turn our hearts toward service to you and to other people. And Father, most of all, let us be like Jesus. That we would truly treasure people above everything. They would be where we invest, where we lay up our treasures. And so we would see them in heaven someday. Let us truly have a heart for people. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son that we can learn from like this. We can gain 
understanding and wisdom from help us position our hearts to a surrender to Jesus. Today, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, to get a fresh start, to get a new heart for people, maybe you've never asked them for forgiveness before, but I'm here to tell you today, it's so easy. He came to make it easy. You can surrender everything to him day by just a very simple prayer. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you came to die for my sins. I believe in what you did here on this earth, and I accept your forgiveness in my life. I'm going to choose to live your way, make you the leader of my life from today forward. Amen. It really is that easy. If you want to make that decision today, just pray that prayer all alone in your living room. Pray that prayer today. And if you do, let us know about it. We want to help. We want to send you resources to help you with that decision. We'll hook you up with a Bible plan to really learn about that decision. Just type I'm in in the comments on the video today or um, on the app. You can go to fv.church slash I am in as well and get all of that information. Please let us know that you made that decision today. We want to celebrate with you and we want to help in any way that I can. For some of you, maybe you're saying today, you know, the way I want to respond to this message is is just prayer. I want to ask that God would help me transform my heart. I've never seen people as something to invest in and, and as something to treasure before. Maybe you have a hard time not putting yourself first. You don't even know what that really looks like in day-to-day life. And so if that's you today, we, we would love to pray with you as well. Just in the sermon notes, fe.church slash sermon notes today, you can uh, write us a comment right in that, right on that notes page. And we would love to pray for you. Just, just type pray for me in there. We want to partner with you in prayer in that way this week. Listen, Freedom Alley, one more way to respond to this today. At Freedom Alley, we believe in responding to a crisis, right? being selfless in our community. And because of, of so many people out of work right now, so many people with really needs in their lives and requests for help, we anticipate more of those requests for help coming in over the next few weeks. And so if there is anyone out there that is tithing, you are supporting your church and bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, but you still have some funds that that you would like to go toward helping people in a crisis, you can go to fe.church slash crisis care, and you can give right on that page. Anything that comes in through that page, we will put towards helping someone in need during this crisis. We'll make sure the funds go directly to the people that need it. Well, hey, thank you for joining us live today. I'm going to continue to pray for you throughout this week. And we want to end this service again with the blessing. We want to pray and sing and proclaim this blessing over you today. So I hope you'll join me in standing again one last time before we depart from each other today. Stand up, raise your hands in worship, receive this blessing over you and your household today.